These tools are for you to use. These tools are for you to use. Hey, I'm Dave Marr. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, lighthearted conversations about the heaviest shit. My guest this week is Vashon Jordan Jr., an amazing photographer who took a ton of really beautiful pictures of the Chicago protests at the uprisings in the streets this summer, and also of all sorts of other shit. We get into it in the episode. You can find a link to his photo book, Chicago Protests, A Joyful Revolution, in the show notes. You can also visit him online at Vishan underscore photo on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to hear the full episode, there's a lot more to this. It's it's around an hour 15, I think, that we talked. And you can hear that at patreon.com slash Dave Marr. I have all sorts of other stuff up on the Patreon. This month, I released probably the best playlist I've ever made of like holiday music. A lot of it is not in English. It's like international, original Christmas pop songs, mostly, and some other stuff that I hadn't heard before. It's really great. You can get that if you go to the Patreon. If you donate at the Dolphin level normally, but actually this month it's at any level, you will get an invite to the Virtual Hang, which is like a casual sort of show that I do every month. This month And actually today, so you have to be listening on Tuesday, the day that this comes out, December 22nd, there will be a table reading of the script for Bad Santa, which is tied for my favorite Christmas movie with It's a Wonderful Life. So if you want to see a bunch of super funny comedians reading that, go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr, donate at any level. I do want to give a shout out to my pigeon level supporters, Susie Carroll, Katie Llewellyn, Kurt Chang. And new this episode, Fred Fidua. So thank you all for especially making this happen. Straight up, I do not get paid to make this show. So I am supported by your contributions. So please go to Patreon and help keep this show alive and growing. Other ways you can support the show are just tell somebody about it. Send them a screenshot of the episode. Leave a review in whatever your app is. Subscribe in whatever your app is. Send me a text or an email at this is Dave Mara Gmail telling me I did a good job. I just want to hear I did a good job. Anyway, that's all for now. Please enjoy this interview with Vashon Jordan Jr. I grab your whip and take it back to Shatan. When I'm in Shatan, I treat it like So okay, I here's here is the I was like, how are we gonna start this? And the idea that I had, because the thing that got me really excited about your work, other than the craftsmanship, was the shit you were saying on your Twitter a lot this summer about people covering the dark sides of protests, the brutality, the violence, but never celebrating like especially black joy. Mm-hmm. Um, have you talked to people, editors, journalists who you've tried to sell this concept and been like, listen, I have this work and they push back at you. Does it, do you get pushback on that? I haven't um, done much of that. So the thing about it is in journalism, there's this idea of, you know, objectivity 
And if you've looked at my coverage over the summer, I've really crossed that line a lot. So that just kind of makes it difficult for me to have that relationship. And the other thing about it was I knew that as a photographer, what I was covering was something we were going to be looking back on for a long time. I um, always lead my life with this idea of the future and this idea that one day this may mean something greater than what it is today. So if you talk to people who knew me in high school, elementary school, they knew that I was always like working very hard to get things done. I was always thinking about the future. I was always making these plans. So what I'm doing today, I'm 21 years old. I turned 21 in June. So it's like my class. What a fucking crazy June to turn 21. Yeah. I literally, on my birthday, we were riding around with my parents taking photos of the looting aftermath. That That's how I spent my birthday in the uh, morning time. So it's like some of that was embedded in me, but I just really wanted to go since I have, you know, I have the resource. I have my own camera gear. I'm able to get around. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go shoot this stuff myself and not worry about publications. There was, um, you know, there were a few times throughout the summer where different publications were looking to like get me, but it's like, I think that this movement requires a lot of collaboration on the ends of different people. So we can all come together to go for that. So it's like regular news outlets do what they need to do. Um, from the terms of, you know, reaching their audience, maybe being objective. But me as an independent photographer, I'm able to go out and call people out and, you know, say different things that the media can't say. So we're, we're all kind of like attacking and embedding that from the same view. But um, of course, you know, I put together a photo book and that wasn't the original idea, but I was able to do that only because I shot these photos independently. If I didn't shoot them, if I shot them for a publication, they'd all be sitting oh, in an archive yeah. somewhere. They would have owned those photos and I wouldn't have been able to make this book. So I'm really glad that I made the decision not to do any of this for our publications. This thing of thinking about the future, what is that? Is that like a, I have big dreams, I'm building for this stuff? Is it, I'm trying to be a good ancestor, leave a legacy sort of thing? Is it imagining your life as a movie? Like, where does that? What is that? Well, I mean, the, the first thing about it is life is precious. And, you know, with your podcast and talking about afterlife, one of the things that I think many people are going to experience is like that moment in their life where they may have like a near-death experience and they're thinking more about, wow, like life really is very, very, very precious because you may see people around you who are dying but nothing hits more home than when it happens to you. So I had an experience um, about three or four years ago. I kind of lose track of it a little bit where I was uh, on my way to school in the morning. I was in high school and I was hit by a car. So this was like a, a truck and hit me dead on you know, flew into the windshield and I broke my right elbow. I broke my left tibia. I have like a rod and four screws um, from my knee to my ankle. That's going to be still. there. Forever. Still, still there. You know, cut up my left arm like completely. And, you know, 
course, put me in the hospital. And it was one of those accidents where, you know, cut my face up. One of those accidents where it's like people don't survive these kind of things. Right. But I did. And was it just you in the car? No, I was walking. Oh, shit. Wow. I was walking across the street. Oh, my God. Boom. Fuck. Were you conscious the whole time or did you have any like black ones? The last like kind of memory is going in the street and then I was black until I got into the ambulance. But you do remember being the being in the ambulance. Yeah, because it was a very bumpy ride. And uh, (laughs) I I remember that because it was like every bump hurt. But then there's also this thing in the ambulance where they tell you, don't close your eyes, don't go to sleep. And I remember I kept trying to just close my eyes. So they're like doing the like the sternum rub where they're like putting their knuckles in my chest to keep me up. Oh wow. Um, and like I just carry them to like, you know, stay up, stay up, stay with me, keep your eyes open. They're like, you know, rubbing their um knuckles. And then I like don't remember anything until I remember being in like the hospital and my family's there freaking out. How long are you in the hospital? I was in the hospital for about maybe four or five days. It was always okay. scary to me because I remember they came in this like this is the day that I left. It was like either the fourth or fifth day. And they were like, Okay, it's time for a little bit of physical therapy. So we want to see if you can like get up, if you can move around. So we just did a simple I was in the hospital bed the entire time. They had me sit up, spin out the bed, stand up, transition to a wheelchair, because I still have one good leg. So, you know, me, I'm trying to push myself and do it. And then like, oh, you're great, you're going home. It's like, whoa. Oh, I wasn't ready for that. I didn't know that this was a test for me to go home. So that was a, you know. A what night. hospital was it? Um, I do not remember that detail. Okay. But it wasn't like a bad thing because I was honestly, you know, you're not supposed to be sitting in the hospital bed for days on end because of bed sores and all of that. So right. getting me up and active was good, but I was just more so like, I'll just sit here and and be be okay but i was you know glad to get up and be able to get to the restroom on my own and not using the bedpans and take the catheters out like it was it was definitely an experience but it was definitely that moment in my life that just showed me just that value of life and made me think of it in more of a precious way so at in those days afterward it's funny because you have intuitively happened on usually the the last segment of the show, which I ask is like, what's your coma? Because I was in this coma for a month, right? And I almost got taken off life support. It was a it was an intense time. And things changed after that. You know, I'm like in big and small ways a different dude, you know? And I think and I but I don't think they're all that dramatic. I think people have all sorts of moments like yeah. that where something little changes, right? So would you say this is that kind of big most recent moment for you that feels like you you shed something or you woke something up and the, and this is the like before and after moment of your life? Yeah, that was it and everyone around me tells me you know before the accident to after night and day difference. Really? Night and day, as far as the way that I led my life, how focused I was, how determined I was, night and day. And Like before you were not focused? Yeah. Um, with high school, I, I'm, I'm prone to injury. It's, it's utterly ridiculous at this point. 
And people are always asking about like sports. And I was like, I really can't because so my freshman year of high school, I broke my ankle, which put me out for three months. It was actually on school property. So that was the most embarrassing thing in the world. Um, it was, it was, uh, during like January where, you know, Chicago has the big snowstorms, And at mm-hmm. this point, the school had cleared out the snow, but there was still that black ice there. Yeah. So I slipped on that and broke my ankle. And this is the morning where all the kids are coming to school. So that was not a good representation, reputation okay. of the freshman, the kid that slipped on the ice and broke it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So that was my luck freshman year. And then I kind of got back together my sophomore year. And then I got hit by the car my junior year. But one of the things about high school is that's when you're really trying to find yourself. So I was going through the points of like trying to figure out what crowd I wanted to fit into, looking to befriend like the athletic kids and the kids, you know, the cool kids. But it's like it's hard to be in an athletic friend group if you're not on a sport team. Because yeah. the bonds are built, you know on the court in the locker room, not at the lunch table for 40 minutes a day. Um, that's when they're talking to all of their girls and stuff. So when I had the accident, that's when I really got focused on, because I started like professional photography with the DSLR in high school. Oh, wow. That was, After the accident. That's when I started to learn more about it because I first picked up a camera my freshman year, but then I got hit. You no, know, then I broke my ankle. So it put me out and I was pretty much it for my freshman year. And then I came back and I started to kind of get into my sophomore year. And then my junior year, I got hit by the car. I took that time to really start to learn more about photography. So when I came back junior year and then all of senior year, I just really went head on to um, to do it. But it really took that experience to make that switch in me. And if I didn't have that experience, I'm not even sure how focused I would be today on thinking about the future because it's like, I think about um, some of the protests and just different events that I've shot over the years. And it's like, Chicago is a city of 2.7 million people. There has to be thousands of photographers, but outside of news photographs and videographers who are being paid to be here, I don't see just regular folks who are not shooting for any outlet, not trying to just come in to document this because it's a historic moment. And I, so I think that's one of the things about me that's a little different. I'm thinking about everything I think about is in terms of this is a once in a lifetime thing. Like, yeah, there will be another protest, but we will never have this day. We'll never have this moment, these exact people. So if I don't, if I say I'm too tired or whatever, I don't go to this protest, I will never have this opportunity again. And that's one of the reasons why I go out and I do so much, even though it's not for any type of assignments or money. Right. And so that's what keeps you from giving into that sleeping in or whatever instinct that you might have given into if you were, you know, in freshman or sophomore year before this stuff happened. Exactly. Like, you know, just taking life day by day kind of deal. Like it's, you know, it's whatever. It's just high school and not pushing because like the work has to be done. And I think that I would have gotten that point at, you know, at some time, but it wouldn't have been now. I wouldn't have been 21, you know, with the book that I did myself. And yeah. I mean, do you recognize how, uh, 
you know, I won't say that you are, but how ahead of the game other people react to you as if you are? Like, are people looking at you like, hey, man, you're 21. You got plenty of time. Relax. Like, you know, you're way ahead of the game. Are people saying stuff like that to you? It's actually, I think that's mainly because of the way that I'm, like, out in the world and how I, like, carry and present myself and how I speak to people and, like, the facial hair. People don't automatically recognize that I'm 21 years old. Okay. So every time it's told to someone, it's like, oh, whoa. Like, it's always a a huge surprise, but it's never like something people like, they're automatically thinking that. But, you know, the reception that I get now is a very good reception of almost like people call me like a Twitter celebrity and things like that. (laughs) And it's, it's really been something. I've been out. This is one of the days where I knew it was getting out of hand. I went out to photograph a baseball game up north. And I took the CTA home because I just wanted that time just to, you know, sit on the train for an hour and and just unplug kind of deal. And I got like two messages from two different people. Like, hey, did I see you on that bus stop up there? It's like, oh, what's going on? And every protest, people, you know, they were coming up to me and they're like thanking me for the work that I do and, um, you know, recognizing me. And I'm also six foot four. So... I, I really stick out in the crowd, six foot right. four with the camera. That, that's that's something as well. But one of the um, things about it, I don't really take too much of it to heart because I just operate with this, you know, idea that the work that I'm doing is work that anyone can do and that anyone should do. And I want to encourage more people to do it. So I try to, you know, humanize myself as much as possible, be as receptive as possible and just do things to let people know, like I am you when I've spoken to two courses already at Columbia, as like a guest speaker, which was like kind of surreal being a guest speaker. And to your classmates. Yeah. It's like, Whoa. Right. One of the biggest points of the discussion was like, I'm a student just like you. I'm maybe your same age or one or two years older than you. So just making sure we bridge that connection because a lot of times you can see people that are off and it seems like they're doing these big things and you think that, oh, there's some special case. There's some anomaly. And it's like, no, like we're all the same and we could all do this work. So I try to really put that out there and get folks to understand that, you know, find. You have to find a passion. If you're coming into this, any kind of work for this idea of, you know, fame or fortune, or maybe this will hit because this is trendy, it won't work. And like you with your podcast, if you tried this before your experience, you know, that connection wouldn't have been there. So it probably wouldn't have worked out as well. So it's like you have to, to figure out what works best for you. Well, so I want to ask you, the question that I usually kick off the whole podcast with, which is, what do you hope happens when you die? This is a test of how far in the future are you actually thinking? Yeah. So when I die, one of the, the things that I hope for is to have a legacy that is able to be there and carry itself on. I, you know, with this photo book, I'm really harping on this a lot because we live in such a digital age 
everything that aside from this book, everything that I've shot has been posted on social media and the Internet can get wiped away today. My account, I can say the wrong thing right now and get my account suspended with a click of a button from some staffer who doesn't know me, doesn't really care about me. They can wipe everything that I've been building up for years. So the body of work that I've created is one of the things that I want people to be able to come back to and look at and see for ages and for years to come because you take care of that book is going to be there forever. doesn't matter what happens to the internet. doesn't matter which social media sites we're using or any of that. You don't have to scroll through my accounts to find stuff from years ago when we're talking about but when we're in 2030 talking about 2020, I know I'm not. I don't think anyone else is going to scroll through my feeds to find out, oh, let's see what Vashon talked about so we can know. So it's like having that there is one of the things that um, I really hope to happen and be able to look back on that because, you know, that's one of the things. And the other thing about it is I just really hope that I'm recognized as someone who, you know, really was a person that tried his best to care for people and show humanity and give his talents to give other people platforms and share other people's stories. Because one thing that I believe is wholeheartedly true is people can forget every interaction that you all have had together, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. And the way that I want to make people feel is in a positive and a good way and not a negative way. So I hope that those are the things that are really takeaways um, when my time here is done. I mean, the service and the documentation is like real clear in the work. Is there, are there aesthetic legacy ideas that you want to have? Like, like are, what, are there things that you feel like people can look at your work right now and be like, oh, that's a Vashon photo? Yeah. Um, I've noticed that when it comes to saturation, and color, that has been one of the things that I've really stuck out on. I'm very key on showing Black people the way that we actually are, making sure that our skin color is accurate, make sure the colors pop. So one of the ways that people can automatically tell that that's one of my photos is the colors are there, the colors are accurate. And I don't think this is some, one, one of the things that many people notice when they look at photography, because it's just kind of like, you just assume, all right, that's how the lighting was or whatever. But you may see photos of black people and we don't like our, our skin isn't as rich or maybe we look sort of grayish. And I noticed that a lot. So when you see my shots, you definitely see that that color there. You also just see those action shots where moments of joy are captured. And I'm always in the moment. There was um, and this is one of the things I thought about over time. I think back to the protests on May 30th. And this is where we had like the clash with police protests and police on the, I think this is the Wabash Avenue bridge leading to Trump Tower. So if you think about the bridges, they have both directions of traffic. And in the middle, there's like a huge median to keep the cars separate. Mm-hmm. So the protesters and police are on the street level. A lot of the photographers are up on the medians. But I was one of the, if not the only photographer on the street level right there at the line with the police and a protester shooting. So I'm in there, not shooting for any publication. I don't need any of these shots, 
but I'm in there in the action getting like I'm I'm getting pushed around too. You know, I'm getting pushed each way. I'm doing a 360 totally caved in, but I'm right there when all the other photographers are up kind of shooting from that bird's eye view. So definitely, you know, um, rich colors and saturation, getting right in the action, getting in the moments and just trying to capture these experiences the best way possible. And another point that I'll mention just to back that up is there are different things that I captured this summer and just over the years that are moments that no one else has. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. There's um, this one protest. It was called break the piggy bank. And this was one of the last big protests of the summer where the entire theme and goal and model of the entire protest was they had this pinata dresses like a police officer as a pig. They break it open. All the coins fall out onto objects that represent where the money could go. Oh, wow. One of the, uh, so I knew that was a shot going in. Right, right, right. There was a news outlet that, and I talked about this on Twitter because, you know, I have no, you know, I don't care about calling someone out for what we need to talk about. But there was a news outlet who went out there and they covered the speeches, they covered the march, they covered everything, but they didn't have any shots of that moment. And it's like the entire protest was for this one symbolic moment. Yeah. Your photographer didn't capture it. So it's like I made sure I was there. I have photos and videos of that moment and it made it into the book. And it's like, that's the one thing that you have to get. There is a, another one. I think everyone knows about when the dreadhead cowboy went on the Dan Ryan. Mm-hmm. So, before the Dan Ryan Kids Last Matter March, he had two marches in the neighborhood, one in Woodline, one in Inglewood. I am the only person who covered both of those. No one else, no news outlet came to the first one. We had one outlet at the second one. No one else covered it. So the photos that I have of that, if I didn't preserve those photos, if I didn't publish those and put them down somewhere, that history will be lost because, of course, there were folks taking photos on their cell phones. But, you know, those are their personal photos. They may put on their own platforms. You will never see those on a public scale. But as a photographer coming in to document that, out of all of the news outlets, large and small in Chicago, no one came out to the first one. One came out to the second one. So he did the third one, which wasn't in Inglewood or Woodline. It was on the Dan Ryan international news right 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 and it was this moment that um was so surreal to me when we finished the very first um kids last matter march he was in this big field and he gave out free food did dance competitions and horseback riding at after the dan ryan um horse ride he did a press conference at that same location some days later And at the press conference, we had about maybe 10 TV cameras and reporters. None of them were there when he was doing all the activities, but they came for the press conference. And one of the reporters were like, why did you choose this location? And I'm just sitting here like, oh, man, you guys don't even know. But we were just right here weeks ago doing all of these activities. And none of you were here. None of you cared about it. I'm the only person who covered it. 
But now well, this is why the objectivity thing is, I mean, it's a myth anyway, no one's yeah. actually objective. Mm-hmm. And by immersing yourself in it so hard, you're, you just come correct with so much more knowledge of yeah. what's happening. And it's just inspiring as an artist who's not a photographer, like I'm 36 and I, I don't think until, you know, right before or as I was 30, did I start getting any sort of sense of my place in things and your level of awareness of like what makes you different. And just the, like, it gives me chills to hear you describe the other photographers on the median and you down in the crowd. I'm like, that's the shit, man. That is the, like, I am doing my art, you know, because obviously it's like, it's, it's different when it's a, when it's a public service and when you're documenting something that's like, it's a, it's related to social justice, you know? So it feels weird to be selfish or think about your art in the midst of it, but it's there, you know? And it's very exciting to me to hear you talk so specifically about knowing what makes you different and not just like, cause I like saturation, right? It's like saturation because I need to show black skin the way that it's not normally shown in photographs is is tight. Thank you. And one of the things for me, and I guess this can kind of help you get a better idea of like my brain, everything that you just said there was like a, a surprise to me as I'm listening to it, because the way I'm speaking about this is like a duh, like doesn't everyone yeah. this way? Like this is like a no brainer to me. So when other people are like, you know, it's kind of taken aback by it, it's like, Oh wait, like this isn't the norm for 21 year olds. Like I'm, Still, for most people, I'm honestly, I'm still, I'm still like figuring that part out. That is like, I think that the way that I lead everything is just like the norm. And I'm realizing that it's not. And that's why it's more important for me to get out here and talk about it and do these things. Yeah. I mean, it's a good place to be. What about, do you think about personal afterlife stuff at all in terms of, do you have any beliefs about when you're gone, where you go? Yeah, so it's like I'm not that much of a religious person. Like, yeah, I believe in like God and after- it doesn't have to be religious. Well, I, I think some of the views of like what happens to you if you're like reincarnated and all of that can stem from that religious yeah. viewpoint. But it's like I do believe in like there's a higher place that okay. we're working towards. But from there. It's not something that I, I spend much time crafting ideas about. So, you know, it's like we're all on this earth and we're all created here and we all have limited times to be here. And then once that time's up, that's pretty much it. I would love to come back as my favorite animal and do a, do a couple of <laughs> years and then come back as a different person and, and put some time in. Um, what's your favorite? What's the animal? You know, I think that... um very cute poodles and those dogs with those fashionable lifestyles do it well, but <laughs> with those fashionable, lifestyles. you know, um, yeah, designer puppies has been a, a term that's been thrown around recently. But there's this thing that I used to do, and I still kind of do it myself, and I'm like very bored. Where I think about the concept of life. And I just do it in my head until my head like literally overloads and I have to stop. But it's just like the the whole thing, like the life and the solar system 
and everything that's here, like, what is this game? What is this thing? Mm-hmm. If this wasn't here, would there be something else? Like, what is, like, we're all here. This has to be some type of simulation. This is some type of game. All of this combined. And what is it? If it wasn't here, what will it be? So I just kind of, like, just overload my brain with that aspect of, like, what is the thing that we're doing here? Have you come to, have you found any answers? No. Well, I don't think they gave (laughs) us enough brain power for that. On purpose. On purpose. But it's like, I just try to just, like, you know how you watch those films and it takes a person from where they are and it like zooms all the way out to the globe, like a Google Earth kind of thing. I just like keep zooming out and then it's like, let me just be quiet and carry on with my day. Look, look at me. I'm trying to screw up the system. <laughs> sorry to the overlords. Like, sorry, guys. <laughs> So now I want to ask you to kill one thing, one ideally small thing in culture or everyday life that you wish would just disappear. I don't, I don't know this is small, but social media eco chambers. Okay. Say, say more about that. Um, we live in a box on social media where we're surrounded by people with our same beliefs, ideals, and thoughts. Everything you tweet, your followers more than likely are going to agree with you. And if they don't, they're going to unfollow you or not say anything about it. <laughs> right. And then you step out into the real world and society and you see that, oh, you know, my way of thinking isn't the popular way. It's not the way everyone thinks. If I was to live on, on Twitter, I would think that the entire world hated Trump. And then I step outside of Twitter and I was like, oh, this dude got almost 70 million votes. <laughs> Somebody likes this guy. And when you see those worlds converge, it's tough to find common ground because you are so ingrained to thinking you're right. And when when those and one of the things about Trump supporters is these people are are very fierce people and they will troll you and heckle you and tear you down and they come in numbers. And I've seen people who are very outspoken, very strong on their points, always calling people out, always standing true to what they believe in. And then the the Trump supporters, Twitter side, they get a hold of them and they tear them down, make them you know want to leave social media. But over the summer, I covered a Trump rally. And I'll never forget this. Um, I. It was a day of two protests. So I was trying to look presentable or whatever. But I was trying to, I'm a big guy. I can't be out here with crew necks and his jacket on when the sun is beaming. I don't have to work out to sweat. I just step outside. Yeah. Like, all right. Yeah, there are yeah. my calories for the day. Something came out of here. But I was there and I was covering this thing. And one of the, I'm like, I'm, and you know, like I said earlier, I'm not shooting from afar. I'm, I'm in there. I'm in, right. embedded in it. And one of the um, the Trump ladies, and she came and she's like, "Are you okay? Like you, you got to be hot. Like you know, you're good." And she was um, and she was checking on me, and it's like, man, you know, that I just bridge the world together by being hot. <laughs> like, whoa, this this lady, this Trump supporter who I would assume hates me, just came up to check on me because she's like, "You are in very hot clothes. Are you all right?" The world is healed. 
Yeah. But it's like if if the two of us met on social media, it probably wouldn't have been pretty. But that in-person interaction, no one at the at the Trump rally, at the pro-police rally, no one gave me any problems. Mm-hmm. I was able to go freely through both sides, walk all through them, take photos, and I had no problem. I didn't fear for my safety at all. They we have different opinions, but we were able to be in the same space. Well, but you don't feel like the intensity of their opinions is particularly like yes, we should be able to occupy the same space with people who disagree with us. But should we how polite should we be when we're occupying the same space? And the disagreement is, I do not believe you should have some of the basic rights that I have. Well, the point there, and this is one of the things that I've learned over the summer, not everyone has a single-handed power to make changes. Mm-hmm. So when you're on the street and you know now it's like they've pretty much sanctioned it, whereas Black Lives Matter versus Trump or whatever or Antifa versus Proud Boys, all of that kind of stuff. You mean the media or on the street when you're protesting? Just the media and when you're on the streets is like, if you're not a Trump supporter, you're a Black Lives Matter supporter. That's kind of where things are looked at because it's like we have Black Lives Matter rallies and you have Trump rallies. It's pretty Mm -hmm. much that's the side. But it's like, if I'm on the street and I'm arguing with this, this Trump supporter who isn't willing to really change we're not going to have like this conversation that we're having isn't going to change your ideals i don't know if this conversation is going to even if i was to change your mind it's not going to change a law or a policy so you also get to that point where it's like how much is it worth it to have this dialogue with this random person right and you know, the the people who are actually in power, making decisions, making laws, making policies. So you're thinking about just, is it worth it? Because every time that we've had, you know, like when I went to the Trump rally, it was a stay woke rally. There, the, the Trump people were there. And then right behind them were counter protesters mm-hmm. who were banging pots and pans, making noise the whole time. But there was no physical combat. There were a couple of people who came and got in each other's faces, but there are no fights there. So it's like, you're also, you know, taking that into account and thinking about that. Um, and just understanding, like, you know, which battles are the battles that matter, which ones it's like, when I get on Twitter and I see a troll that's commenting, you know, if I'm talking bad about police or whatever, and they're commenting, it's like, I won't even engage with them because I'm like, it's not worth it. It's, it's not going to, to do anything for us as a whole me arguing with this person who's stuck in their ways. That's a level of enlightenment that I think a lot of us would like to get to. Yeah. You, you gotta, you know, just, just see it. And it's like, what, number one is being aware that we live in a social media eco chamber. That's number one. And if you watched it, I think it's on Netflix. Um, called oh the yeah. Yeah. No, social no, dilemma. Right. 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 Have you seen that? I haven't. I know a lot of people were, I felt like I would just know everything, but maybe that's my arrogance there. I'm like, I know this shit's terrible for you. I don't need to yeah. watch a documentary about it. But there's a scene that illustrates exactly what I'm talking about. And it's literally the the young lady 
she's on her phone and she's going through social media and she has all of these views about, you know, anti-Trump. And then she's going to school and she sees Trump protesters. And it's like, whoa, where do they come from? I didn't know there was this. Is that kind of thing. It's illustrated better than I just described it. So I just, I didn't do it justice at all. But this isn't an advertisement for the social dilemma. So (laughs) I don't feel bad about that at all. I don't even like to name drop the interviews, but um, <laughs> I did it there. This, yeah, but um, I get what you're saying. I think it's yeah, I don't and, have and, this or anyone to be like, hey, Vishine, you know, the backgrounds. I'm like, oh, I did it. Well, I also think the thing that's interesting about what you're saying about recognizing, like, oh, how much is it going to help for me to talk to this one random person is that in some ways just your presence might actually get through to them a little more than, I I mean, it's the same reason that people in cities are lean further left than people who are not in cities. It's like the more kinds of people you're around, the more you're going to see things from other people's perspectives. So just you being there shooting photos is probably a radical act in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's also just like, you know, you're showing up to have these conversations and these arguments and these dialogues, but are you showing up when it matters? You know, look at all the tens of millions of people who voted for Joe Biden and got him in office. All of these folks weren't out here protesting. They didn't show up to a rally, but they showed up when it mattered. They showed up to the polls to get Trump out of office. So you're also looking at, are you exercising your voice and your powers when it really, really matters the most? Because I promise you, I don't care how many tweets you've made about how Trump should be out of office, how many likes they got. That doesn't equate to a vote. Yeah. If you actually go cast a ballot, it doesn't do anything. You may convince some other people, but for you personally, your tweets don't equate to a ballot. Well, mine, my tweets do. Um, you, you're right. I don't know. You, you have some coma. <laughs> you're looking at me I don't like, know what what like. is this fucking guy talking about? Right? You go through a coma and then you come out. I don't know what that package is. Yeah. Like. There's a medical trauma package that makes yeah, your vote. I don't know what that package is like, but you didn't get it from the, from the truck accident. You didn't get it. You know what? I should have closed my eyes. They told me not to. And that was probably because they knew that package was going to come. Right. They're like, this guy's vote is going to count harder if he closes. Yeah. <laughs> I should have did it. It's like, well, I'm not supposed to be here, but I'm here, which means there's a reason that I'm here. And for that, I should be the deciding vote. Exactly. That's the show. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me online at this is Dave Marr. This is Dave you can find Vishan at Vishan underscore photo. You can find his photo book. The link to that is in the show notes. The title is Chicago Protests, A Joyful Revolution. Go to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Dave Marr. Sign up for bonus content, for extra little shows, playlists, all the stuff that I'm doing over there. Have a great holiday season, and I will talk to you next week. You can do them. Have faith. You are human, only human, and human beings they do.